0: So, hi, Romain. Did I actually pronounce your first name right? Romain?
1: Yeah, almost. Actually, in English, you can just say Roma, like ah, forgetting about nice. the end. Yeah,
0: it's close to how you
1: okay, okay. pronounce it in French.
0: So, what was your first computer? I think it was a, a median, close to our
1: actual computer. It was an Intel CPU, etc. I got it pretty, pretty late at something oh. like 18. It was not an a oh, okay. netterier, an, an
0: and uh, why that late?
1: I, I don't know. I was not interested in computers at the beginning, and actually I got okay. one. To and do what it started with?
0: Uh, so you got your computer with 18. So what was your first, you know, task with the computer? So what you did first? You played games, or
1: I think it was uh, starting to play with uh, pictures. Uh, the first thing I got was a scanner. So I started to, to play with uh, okay. PaintShop Paint
0: Pro, time. right? Yeah, I also played with Scanner. Yeah. And uh, what happened to me is I, I was able to scan, you know, incredible large files So back then. So I scanned, you know, I don't know. I forgot it, but it was like, you know, one page was like 200 megs, just, you know, choosing the wrong resolution. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, what you <laughs> did you do with the PaintShop Pro? So you were like, you know, so... It, you did your layout or design. What what was the idea behind?
1: Um, I think the first thing I did was okay. nothing, and then it was uh, I started to draw a bit, but I'm bad at that. So it was mainly uh, yeah photos and things like that. And then I did some 3D. So I was using it to do some a night painting. painting okay. or so like but
0: uh, n- night painting. Night painting. Okay, and and night. Wh- you know, like the doing background background a background for a scene. And why you did it? So what paintings were they? Like, you know, science fiction or what What was your motivation?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was to do some SF uh, and to animate some um, things I modelized in 3D. How, like
0: that, how you to started? Do what was your first program or wh- wh- why you started programming so? Um,
1: because uh, when you start to do 3Ds, uh, you... You are know, animating things and pretty quickly you need to do some coding. It's, it's not like Java or what we do uh, at work, I mean, but you need to code. So I started to start automating things and then I entered and which into... Which programming language own... was it? Oh, I don't recall. It was something specific mm-hmm. to the software I was using. Um, ah, it
0: Cinema was Cinema okay. mm-hmm. uh, I don't recall that And you had... yeah. do you have also some experience with Maya or... Uh, no, because it was uh, super expensive and hard to, to find at that time. Okay. And what was the most important thing you animated? You have it still somewhere on YouTube? or uh ah, YouTube. Uh, Yeah, YouTube.
1: Uh, it's not public uh, because at that time I okay. didn't have uh,
0: internet. So
1: it's all local. <laughs> but I think it was uh, um, a 3D car moving okay, cool. in my street.
0: And... Uh, and what was your the most impressive thing you animated? So, was this your car or what, what was it?
1: Um, I think it was a small uh, Diablo. Uh, I did a small movie because at that time I wanted to enter into, uh, uh-huh. into graphic schools. So, I did a small movie to be able to show my work and, uh, and you managed... to enter into the school. I think and you were so successful with the strategy? Plan. Um not really because uh, what I uh, didn't understand at that time was
0: you need to be able to draw and very well to enter into these schools. Uh okay. and not just yeah, this be is technical. as always, you know, You have to also self-market yourself and yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what so what was you know the exactly. what were the next steps? So you were not that successful with your school. So what was your thinking then?
1: Oh so then I uh, moved uh-huh. more into programming. Uh, I started to learn uh, C language, then uh, uh, GTK. Um, So then I went to a school where programming was not the main skill. And I realized at that school where we did uh, a lot of C, that uh, I like that and I want to do do that uh, at work. So I switched to school and went to a real engineer. Uh Was it a school
0: school. or university or what is it? Okay. Uh, Okay. It was France. Yeah, you know the kind of school we have
1: only okay. in France. <laughs> so it's it's equivalent to the university, but it's not as open as the university. Ah, so it's still, I school.
0: think we have something in Germany as well. It is not university, it's more like applied science. So it is, uh, university is more theoretical and the applied science university is more, te- oh no, more pragmatic, I would say. So you learn actual programming in the university. You also learn programming a bit, but it's more theoretical, you know.
1: Uh, it's the theory mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: and applied uh, sciences uh, in Germany, we also have theory. But uh, the theory is like, you know, I don't know, one, two semesters, and then you start hacking, coding, and uh, you have also a practical semesters, not not just, you know, theory.
1: Yeah. yeah it can be close. And yeah.
0: uh, so you learned then uh, C for G- GTK. So what's, what's interesting, so GTK is uh, Linux, so at least I'm aware, uh, mostly U- Linux and C. But you mm-hmm. wanted to be, you know, uh, info uh, infographics uh, guy. So I would expect more, you know, like Apple or Windows. So why you stick with Linux?
1: Because um, Windows was uh, proprietary, etc. So I was already um, sensitive to open source. So I was using Linux and... Uh, Actually, the fun thing is my first uh, program with GTK was uh, a picture program, Uh, like a small paint. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's mainly because Windows were proprietary and was not customizable. You know, uh, at that time, for me, being able to have your own um, environment on Linux was something very important, something very customized. um, I also
0: uh, used Linux from day one for for other reasons so i always wanted to be programmer i never wanted to be a, a, like you know graphic designer but what i i know a lot of graphic designers and they just don't care about openness you know they 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 take the right tool for the job and they're happy so this is what made me curious so your background is more like infographics or inf- or or graphic design and uh, you still wanted to be to 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 have an open operating system this is what made me curious
1: yeah, but don't forget with
0: um, open source, you
1: also get the yeah, yeah, sure. free side of the software. So you get a lot of software ah. uh, for free, whereas on Windows you okay. To buy Okay, so buy now I get buy. it.
0: So you, you, you did it just to save money, right? Yeah. I guess so. I'm not sure it was okay. intended, but I guess this so. This was actually my case because uh, as I was a student, I wanted to have no free compilers and the whole programming environment. And I knew if I buy Windows, I could just buy the student uh, stuff. What I actually also did, so I bought, you know, the whole, it was not .NET. It was from Microsoft prior .NET. I forgot the name. It was J++, J plus plus C++, and uh, the other stuff from Microsoft. And I, I, I got it extremely cheaply as a student. But, you know, in Linux, it was not a big issue. I just downloaded the compilers and was able to do whatever I liked. So this was uh, why why I really liked Linux back then. So cool. So then you started serious programming with C, GTK. Okay. And uh, what's what's also interesting, you you mentioned you built an image editor with GTK and C, but this is also lots of math involved, right? So for all the filters and uh, and, and you did oh, yeah. h- how you got into the math. So how how you got the algorithms? Well,
1: Basically, the picture algorithms are um, very well documented on the internet, and not very hard actually. It's kind of matrix. Mathematics, so nothing uh, very hard to get. Uh, So I just picked some papers on the internet and implemented that. And actually my goal was to implement uh, I don't know if you saw saw it, but in Photoshop you have a mod, very advanced mod where you can get a a small pop-up and you enter the metrics of your your filter. I think there is that in GIMP now. And it was my first goal. So being able to uh, configure a filter and apply it to even the matrix remarkable. of the picture. So
0: I also did some, you know, matrix stuff. Uh, I tried to use it, I think, even for encryption back then, but this is hard math stuff. So it's impressive that you were able, to you know, to read the paper and implement a C code, which uh, realizes the paper. So cool stuff. And what was your next next project with C, C++? Or C? Uh, the next one, I mean, serious one I did...
1: I learned in between uh, Uh Qt, so it was C++, and I did a music player. And the motivation was, uh, so I was looking for a software, uh, light like Uh uh, Winamp. I don't know if it still exists, but uh, being able to handle uh, my library of music. And I didn't find anyone at that time. So I just did a a custom one. How um, old were you back then
0: with the uh, image editor? You remember that?
1: Um, I guess I was a bit before 20.
0: So you actually went from non-programmer to programmer in one and a half years around, and you were able to read, you know, uh, research paper or uh, algorithms and convert them into C code. Yeah, but it's...
1: I'm not sure it was good programming. I mean, it was working, but uh, at that time I, I didn't fully understand the event loop of uh, UI programming
0: and things like that, so I was doing things no, okay, no. probably yes. bad. Sure. No one is perfect, but it's still remarkable. Okay, cool. Um, so, music player, did it work, actually? Your music player? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, It was pretty good.
1: I think I used it for, uh, for one or two years and then the Mainstream players uh, got up, so I just oh, really? switched to a mainstream one. Because, you know, if I get back the code of one of these two programs now, you can't compi- compile it anymore because the compilers evolved and okay.
0: some syntax is okay. no more. Uh, it's getting tolerated. more impressive, so I'm really curious about your third project. So, what was it after two years? <laughs> what do you build then? Oh, it's a good question.
1: I guess then it was no more personal, personal stuff because uh then i was in mm-hmm. engineer school so it was the mm-hmm. school projects that's a good question okay. i don't recall what I of but did. Uh, but it was more uh, um, scheduling and things like that because my school was in these topics so it was not uh, ui or you said something scheduling okay so
0: probably you know you built something like cubin it is light back then right
1: uh, it's more about scheduling problems, so you compute, okay. you try to optimize the okay. function, okay, cool. things like um,
0: that. So uh, was it anything uh, interesting between C++ in your next programming language, or you were basically done with the two projects in C++ land?
1: Yeah, I think I was done with C and C++ at that time, and I needed to switch to Java because it was kind of uh, uh, enforced by okay. either the school or then the work. Uh and the fun thing is, I was missing a lot C or C Uh because in Java you can't manage your yeah. uh, memory anymore, and it was something very sh- shocking for me, at least at the beginning. That, was this shocking. is funny
0: because the first time you were forced, uh, you know, to learn C because uh, your uh, yeah by the by the market basically. So the, the uh, you you were very good with technical skills, but not. Uh, by market yourself, so you have, where first do you see, and now the second time, happened with Java, right, because the market forced you, to learn a new language, and you enjoyed that, no, you said, uh, yeah. there is no memory management, what what else you missed in Java?
1: I think it was more a feeling, than something I really missed, because I was able to do, uh, what I needed, but I was missing, the, the full control, and everything, you know, uh, but then I started, to do some, Spring. Um, uh and it was actually nice to be able to do everything very very simply, to not have uh, segmentation faults and things like that. So I started to find Java convenient, let's say. And um, and then I started to work with Java and learn a lot of uh, E stuff. Uh, and it was very, I mean, it's very powerful because you can do everything and you can do a lot uh, transversally without having to code it. Uh, so, it's what I really so like This with Java, is actually. really
0: interesting road because you started no you know like uh, hardcore algorithms and C and and then you learned Java. So, what were the first projects with Java you did? It was a scheduling problem solver, uh, like optimizing,
1: I don't recall. It was to reduce the cost ah, of production uh, uh, chain.
0: So, this was a commercial project, right? So, you, you were paid for that. So, you already worked for a company.
1: Ah, okay. um, it was at, at school, and it was a okay. partnership and with the company. And then
0: after your school, what you did then with Java? Yeah. so the first
1: thing was uh, working with Hazelcast, uh, which was nothing at that time, and now it's something really? <laughs> something big. Um, the goal was to process and upgrade uh, some big files. So it was kind of big data without saying it is big data. Uh, was interesting with I
0: don't know whether you were involved back then um I'm just searching on my blog because um it was probably ten years ago, and uh the guy from Hazelcast was what was the name tulip tulip right yeah. and he mm-hmm. asked me this was two thousand and nine, and he asked me about talib talib not tulip talib os osturk. And he actually, this was, uh, I'm right now reading this in March 16, 2009. And uh, he asked me you now whether it is a good idea to make uh, Hazelcast open source. And we had the chat. Yeah, this is a really funny because I, I remember this right now. And I'm just on the comment. I will put it in the show, uh, show notes. And, um, and we had some conversation. And I say, uh, absolutely, I mean, this is the way to go. And, uh, and yeah, 2009. This was 11 years ago. Were you involved, 2009, with Hazelcast? Uh, no, because
1: I started that in ah, okay. 2010, I think. But it was but already it was open source when you
0: started, right? Okay, interesting. So it seems like it yeah. happens uh, yeah. in between. And the Talib was really nice guy. And I said, okay, Hazelcast. And I, I, I was a little bit, you know, a little bit um, <laughs> how to, uh, skeptical because I how one guy can create, you know, and distributed cache, which actually works. I mean, this is a lot of effort. For me, it was like, okay, some student hacking something, and Hazelcast become really big here.
1: And- and the fun thing is, when I started this project, uh, it was not supposed to be Hazelcast. It was supposed to be GridGain mm-hmm. at that time, so uh, Ignite now, and combine ah. with uh, InfiniSpan. And I started to, to do the implementation. I actually did it. And InfiniSpan was not working at all. It was not handling concurrent accesses and things like that. So it was just completely buggy because it was Mm -hmm. kind of new, I think. So uh, after two weeks, I just said, uh, okay, I switch off library and I'll take this one. And Azelcast was seducing already because it's using uh, the Java uh, API. It's it's implementing in a distributed Mm -hmm. fashion Java API. So it's kind of... For free, you get the distributed uh, behavior, so it was really uh, smooth to to integrate it and implement. Yeah. it
0: uh, actually, probably you were in the uh, un unlucky situation where the Infinite pen was rewritten because I use JBoss Cache and it worked before, and the JBoss Cache had two modes, like uh, you know, consistent mode and uh, scalable mode, like uh, basically to fa- you could specify the isolation level. And it worked, but it was a tree and then a uh, Hazelcast, uh, sorry, InfiniSpan was rewritten from from uh, the tree to a map and probably this was the time where you tried to use InfiniSpan it didn't work because right now it works very well actually. Yeah, and uh, what you did actually with that? With the with yeah, the cache, yeah. you needed the cache for what? For calculations or what you did with that? So the software was pretty simple. Uh, the
1: first phase was to load all the file uh, in memory to ensure all the data are in memory in the distributed grid and then to execute the computation per node so with local affinity and then there is a reduce phase where we get a ah. kind of aggregate of that. So map so reduce is errors. almost
0: like a word count, right? <laughs> what you did yeah. then? What was yeah. the algorithm or what was the use case for that? Can you t- tell it so briefly? What, what? Um.
1: Yeah, it was to get... So, you know, the evening, the banks are generating a very big file oh, okay. of all the transactions of the day. And the algorithm was processing all these transactions to check uh, they were first valid, and then if to
0: try to detect if there is some uh, wrong patterns in oh, the transaction. funny story. Like you said uh, banks and... Uh, there was... Several years ago, a bank, so I was uh, in, in, in a project there and someone asked me from the bank, you know, we have a big data and, and uh, we need to perform some comp- uh, computation, which framework to choose. And I say, how big is the data? I like this is like, you know, 50 megs or 200 megs mega uh, uh, XML file. It's like, okay, this is not that big. And, and what we did then as a proof <laughs> of concept, we just loaded the, the entire XML to a concurrent hash map and performed with Java 8.0 uh streams some basic calculations on it and we were done. And they wanted to start you know multi-month project with frameworks to evaluating the stuff and at all of the day the guy wrote this by, by himself, just you know reading everything to memory and, and doing stock stock Java 8 stuff. Yeah,
1: I think I did something very close for um, you know when you ingest the data uh, to populate a reference uh, database um So if it is, uh, let's Mm -hmm. say you are using GDBC Mm -hmm. uh, to populate the database, uh, if the data are not moving a lot, so if everything is moving, you just ingest everything and one by one in streaming and that's that's it. But the case I had was uh, every day you get a new file with everything, but actually only 10% is moving. So what you want to do is to only modify these lines. And the way we did it was to load uh, all the data in memory from the database and the file, do a diff in memory, and then generate yep. and leave the queries or a statement for the modified lines, and it it is pretty pretty efficient to be able to load yep. everything in memory. And actually, the big data is exactly the same paradigm. It's just when it is about yep. a huge what? amount of data. What? But uh, it, it's quite yeah, exactly. Actually, so you need. can
0: fit a, a, an, an amazing amount of stuff into a single machine memory. And this is the easiest way to go before you start to thinking about distribution, actually. And by the way, recently, this was this year, I was lazier. And what I did is I loaded the data, exactly the same use as you were telling me about, into memory and I misused JSONP, you know, to, to uh, compute the diff. And then I knew okay, did something changed or not. And with the diff, you can apply it and you have, you know, uh, you can merge this. You know what I mean? Yeah, this was actually a cool hack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah cool. So, was it already Java E back then or J2E or something? So, for this work, it
1: was uh, almost okay. well, Java standalone. Uh, the ecosystem was Spring, uh, Spring okay. integration, Spring batch. But uh, we were moving out of it and just using kind of streams. Uh, but I think it was just when Java 8 was uh, starting to be something. So we were in between. So it was so a why you moved custom out custom
0: Spring? Uh, because it was over complex for the uh, okay. batches. We and, were doing. Uh, you mentioned one time that you uh, started with Java E. So how you started with Java E then?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I was in a transversal team uh, in that work. Uh, responsible for a for part of the runtimes of the company and my uh, team was uh, involved in uh, Apache Open EGB. Okay. so what is to me now. Uh, and actually my direct manager was a committer okay. Apache Open EGB. Uh, so it
0: just kind of mentored oh. me and helped me to... So you were forced again to, to use EGBs, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that, who is your manager? <laughs> Who was your manager? Uh, and uh, was, uh, you like the Open experience or not? So what's?
1: Yeah, I really like the fact. Uh, so at that time, uh, Java EE was uh, EE. Um, <laughs> All negative things you can yeah. <laughs> you can want. Um, but the philosophy was to say, okay, what's EE at the end? EE is just about some mm-hmm. uh, programming model. So and. Why should it be EV? And the philosophy of Apache OpenEGB was to say, let's just stick to the API and implement it without all the boilerplate and EV stuff. And actually, OpenEGB was the first update container. Uh, it, it was at that time a Spring Boot uh-huh. already, an Boot. Uh, and it was very, very nice to work with it because you can write tests directly. You don't need to do unit tests, which are uh, pointless and integration tests you can directly do test for your code. And you can even uh, bundle uh, a custom main, like we do today with Spring Boot or Quarkus or whatever, uh, and just launch OpenEGB in the main. So it was really the philosophy I liked you. What you code is what you do, you can deploy. And of course, if you want to to go into uh, production with the standards uh, of that time, so Tomcat, uh, you can deploy OpenEGB into Tomcat and get an e-container, but uh, it's not required and it's really the
0: yeah, exactly funny like. Uh I just look at my blog post. This is from two thousand nine again, uh, June of two thousand nine. And uh, what I wrote back then is how to unit test EGBs in zero dot eight seconds. And what I did, I use two lines, like you know, uh, properties, new properties, then properties put, and then was org Apache Open EGB client local initial context factory. And you could look up the EGBs and just use them uh, in a main method, basically what you said, in a unit test. And it took 0.8 seconds 11 years ago. And uh, this was incredible. So back then, I misused OpenEGB for more complex integration test, tests and it, uh, look at the code. And it looks like Java E5 back then. So it was even prior, you know, the Java E6 and CDI. Yeah, it was cool stuff. Yeah. So and then you started to, to like... Java, right? If you saw the OpenEGB, this was basically your road to uh, to open, a- um, yeah, to to become a commit as op- Open EGB commit as well, I suppose. Yeah, yeah I, so Jean-Louis helped me to contribute the bin validation oh, okay. integration in OpenEGB.
1: Uh, and then I started to be a committer and a PMC. And what's nice with this project is uh, it's uh, the e container at the end. Uh, whatever mode you use. So uh, you are working with a lot of mm-hmm. specifications. So working in uh, OpenNGB, and to me, I worked with bin uh, validation, with uh, JBatch, uh, Jcash, uh, uh, GBA, etc. So I started to learn a lot of things because I was still mm-hmm. a, a new Java developer at that time. I started to learn a lot of things and become very technical and uh, to build... Uh, Transversal integration, because uh, keep in mind, it was still my work at that time. So to add uh, all we have today with uh, micro profile for Kubernetes, so monitoring,
0: tracing, uh, st- standardization. Okay, when was it with still. your contributions to op- OpenGB? Uh,
1: I think it was in...
0: Okay, so I still a long like time ago. So, um, and, and what company was it you mentioned you worked for? And and it what was, was your was uh, what were the use cases you were solving with the technology? Um,
1: so we were pro- providing the E runtime uh, for other projects, uh, and we were instrumenting the container okay. for the but production But what the needs. company
0: did? So what was it? this it like e-commerce.
1: Oh, it, w-
0: yeah, it was uh, okay, cool. an independent. Like uh, you had to pre- you know to to be scalable, so many transactions per second or. What was the environment?
1: Uh, yeah, but at that time, we were still installing the instances manually, like uh, having a, a yeah, real sure.
0: computer, bare metal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. this is also on, what, on what, 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 what but, uh, still yeah. happens in some companies. So this, is, yeah, this was uh, nine years ago, so it was natural. What did you did then? So you started to committing, uh, contributing all the stuff? And, and then you you you, you swapped the companies, or what was your route to now? Uh,
1: yeah, then uh, I went to um, uh, a online bank in Switzerland. Uh, it was mainly integrating mm-hmm. reference data for the company. Uh, that's where we they started to know our use spring and we start starting to build a kind of custom framework for the batches and mm-hmm. stream, streaming. Uh, the streaming being to get uh, real-time data. Um, and you also contributed to Spring? Yeah, uh, also I Spring conti- committer?
0: Why, Why not? No. I mean, if you contributed no, no. to Apache, you could also contribute to Spring.
1: But it's not exactly the same because uh, at Apache, I contributed a lot to um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: either standard stuff, so uh, implementation of E or transversal stuff. Uh, I'm thinking about Apache uh, Sirona, for instance, which was the monitoring solution. Uh, the, the common point between this uh, this project is it is not mm-hmm. impacting your code, your business code, whereas if you work with Spring, it is directly impacting okay. your uh, your code. But I think I like the fact uh, I can stay focused on the business code in uh, when developing mm-hmm. a business project, and still have a stack with a lot of feature uh, I can activate or not depending the use case. So I guess that's why I
0: didn't okay. do much Spring. So, so you prefer Java over Spring. So, why you did the Spring then in in, in, in Switzerland? So, you could just stick with Java, A, right? Yeah, it was
1: the standard there. So, you know, there area in the world where you use E and some areas ah, okay. so you are using Spring. So, because you were forced
0: spring. to use Spring again, right? So, this is your your, 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 your whole career was just you know external forces for, forcing you something to Do what you didn't like if you want, but it was not. Uh, <laughs> and was and, not and how, <laughs> how long you stick with Spring
1: and then, uh, 10 mm-hmm. months, and then I joined uh, Tommy Tribe,
0: so I was doing back some Tommy stuff. And hey, cool. And then, Tommy Tribe, you you hacked the Tommy server or did some more consulting? It was mainly extension what, to Tommy which server, extensions you built. To be, to be able to be,
1: yeah. So it was, um, we can summarize it very shortly saying it was micro profile before micro profile. Uh, So it was monitoring, it was um, gateway, it was uh, API registry. Uh, you enjoyed that more? Like more?
0: That. So was it like no, now your dream came through or you missed something? No, it was uh, it was pretty
1: interesting. Uh, it was also very nice because. The team was composed of uh Tommy committers so it was it was weird in in one way because it it's like yeah. working with friends you know uh, and it's not always a good idea to work with friends or people you like but and you stayed in really
0: france nice. down, or you moved to okay cool yeah
1: okay yeah, and how, how long do you france, stick
0: yeah. with Tommy Tribe? um Okay. There, I and, I think, okay. aware like that uh, no worry, They actually left. Uh, left. Tommy Tribe. And and then what what happened then?
1: I okay. joined uh, Talent uh, to to build uh, an abstraction framework uh, for their component. So basically, the goal, uh, the business goal, is to build pipelines so, or uh, batches things like that. So it is composed of components. And the challenge they got uh, some years ago was uh, they had the legacy uh, standalone studio, which was a generated, uh, generator okay. of pipelines. And they, were, they are moving mm-hmm. to the cloud a lot. Uh, and the cloud for them means uh, UI with, uh, in JavaScript with React and the backend with uh, Apache Beam, which is an abstraction on top of uh, Apache Spark, Apache Flink, mm-hmm. etc., all the big data engines. So the challenge was to be able to write the component once for both environments. So it means you need an abstraction for the UI between the SWT, mm-hmm. which is the Eclipse framework, and React.js, and an abstraction for the backend, which is either standalone or uh, big data. Uh, and it was my job to build the framework. Okay. Able and to the company
0: name them. was Tenant, you say? Okay, cool. And and um, you are yeah. still at the company right now? Uh, yeah. Still okay. For one month. <laughs> and then you are leaving again? and ca- ca- can i ask you which company yeah. or is it confidential uh
1: the company ah. does not exist yet and i don't know the name yet but it will be something around hey, Cool, Microsoft and this is uh, uh, probably. will be
0: going to be your company okay and um no. so and uh, you, uh which technologies do you choose something from java or microprofile or you build something from scratch again um it will
1: probably be based on rest um, api uh and in particular was CDI. Okay. So kind of both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it's the more adapted for. But Microsoft right now in tenant, today.
0: what are you what are you using? Uh, you are you using right now CDI as well? Yeah, it depends well. So the core of the run- runtime mm. is something custom. Uh
1: because the the only drawback of CDI mm. is it is global. It is a uh, even if you can specify what you are scanning with uh, SE API or whatever, uh, it is global for the whole JVM, uh, and it does not work well in big data where uh, your instances are serialized, etc. So there is something custom for this runtime, but uh, for the website, so the backend of the backend of the backend of the, the React JS mm-hmm. uh, front, uh, it is. Close to a micro profile server. Uh, it is ah, using okay. Microwave and a lot of Geronimo ah, okay,
0: micro good. profile. You say React. Is it JS? Yes. Okay. So, why why yeah. you choose React on that uh, plain web component? So, in all my projects, we're just using plain web components with ES6? Ah. So, okay. it was not my choice. <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, I, I guess because uh, so React was the fastest. Uh, and there are uh, several it is about data so there are several use cases where you you need to render a lot of data and be able to be reactive uh, if some data are moving or are recomputed. and it's hard to make it uh, fast so typically uh, Angular was not an option for that use case
0: mostly true for everything
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Angular is not that bad (laughs) but Uh, so Angular was not an option, uh, VGS was not something at that time and uh, web components were, uh, I guess it is, are still not uh, mainstream enough because, uh, okay, you can do the rendering pretty easily, it's pretty convenient, but the challenge in an application is not the rendering, you can do it. Uh, you can even do it with uh, plain HTML. The challenge is the management of the state and with web components you have nothing.
0: Similar cases right now we use uh custom elements, or web components with lit HTML. So we get DOM diffing for free and Redux for state management. And the architecture is almost identical to React, what I did prior, the web standard. So it actually works extremely well.
1: <laughs> I believe you I, uh, yeah, I know, it was not No, No no discussion. Uh, I was just, just you know interested
0: <laughs> in, in your opinion, just to chat with someone because uh I, I, I'm a consultant and I get, you know, questions from my clients and I'm just, uh, would like to provide somehow, how it's called, uh, balanced, you know, balanced answer. And, uh, yeah. And for now, the uh, web components in the new projects and I did React two, three years ago and now my projects from the source code perspective and performance are almost identical. So this was why I was curious. I assume your project is older and two, three years ago you didn't have so much choices than now, right? So now you could do something else, and back then, yeah. React was the right choice. So. Yeah, so there are two
1: things interesting about what you just said. Uh, the first one is, uh, it's likely a part of the applications will will be, I don't think the the old one will be moving, but the new one will probably be in Web Elements. And the other thing which is interesting is, uh, yeah. so they are using Redux. And it will probably be dropped because the issue with Redux, yeah. it's, it is global. And so if you have a single yeah. big ash map. And what you want is, uh, to have yeah. sub maps. Uh, so if you want to do it with Redux, it's, it's doable, but you need to have a convention and use it in all your uh, controllers components, depending on your architecture, your code. Uh, what's interesting is to move to something closer to Angular One with services where you can have state per area without having to have a convention in a yeah. global store, and I guess it is what. Yeah, and this is centers. what
0: I never got. I thought I really like Angular One, so for me, Angular One was very interesting framework. And Angular Two, I have no idea why it even exists. So this is like uh, you know, this is uh, if 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 we were bored in the in the end and we will moved all. You know, our APIs to the front end. I use dependency injection modules and to, in Angular it is really bad. And and, and, and the problem is also that uh it, it moves too fast for most enterprises. You get two releases a year, you have constantly watch the changes and React is just far more stable. There are no not as many frequent, you know, changes than comparing to Angular. I'm not sure because they
1: just moved to old deprecating all the APIs, so it's still reactive. the version didn't change, but you still yeah, have to no, write uh,
0: This was With uh, the, um, the uh, hooks and the suspenses, this is uh, new stuff, but it was stable for years. This was the first you no know, major change, I would say. But interesting, and, uh, and Redux, you are right, so you have one central store. What I usually do, I combine reducers. So it means uh, you can have slots in the in the hash maps, you can have sub-hash maps. This is what makes it a little bit easier, but it's still one single store, you're right. Yeah, so the issue with that is, if you have a single application, that's fine. You are, uh, you are the
1: god of the application. You do what you want. But if you have multiple uh, application and think uh, microservices, each uh, team will want to contribute some part of the application to the whole application. Uh, yeah. there is no more convention. So it's hard to still use Redux. And that's where you need something like yeah. services. Yeah, you would need one.
0: something like, as so are you talking more about like micro-frontends where you have multiple independent parts, which, yeah. A yeah. um, good solution would be, if it would be possible now, to ship every micro end with an own Redux store and communicate between micro-frontends with uh, custom events. Something like this could work.
1: Yeah. <laughs> to redo the yeah, portlet in the front.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Great. So and um and uh so in the backend you need OSGI. This is what I don't get because you would like to run everything in one JVM or, or why the idea with the OSGI. Uh,
1: you don't need, but it uh, it has uh, several um, advantages. Uh, so first, you can uh, dynamically redeploy something. Uh, it's not always needed. Uh, typically, if you just have controllers for, uh, for a front-end uh, doing some queries in a database, you don't need that. But if you have very long uh, processing, you don't want to stop the processing because you, you add the feature to a container. So it's a, it's a good, good thing to be able to deploy, uh, to add. ultra deploy something. Uh, you also have uh, standards you don't have in E or uh, micro-profile. Uh, let's say the standards are not yet mature. I'm thinking about uh, the configuration, for instance, uh, with GI has as uh, config admin. Uh, MicroProfile has MicroProfile config, but it's still moving, and the design is not yet, not yet as mature as concurrent. I'm thinking to Delta spec, for instance, which is more stable and way more okay. featureful. Uh, you also have uh, the isolation. Uh, so if you need uh, two libraries in different versions which are not compatible, you can make it work. Uh, it's interesting when you are uh, deploying multiple teams' binaries into the same container to optimize the memory and resources because Kubernetes is not helping at all with that. It's just expensive. Um, and you have the whiteboard, whiteboard pattern. The whiteboard pattern is, uh, to simplify it, uh, you register services into a global OSGI registry and something else is consuming the service. And uh, it is really central in SGI. You can do it in uh, in CDI if you want. You you have a registrar or whatever uh, taking services, but it's not done. It's rarely done. And being central in SGI, it means it's trivial to switch from a local to a remote uh, services. So you can start small with a single container, with all services, and if you need to scale like crazy, you can distribute the microservices very easily. So, In, in terms of uh, scalability, it's really smoother to be based on these patterns than using uh, uh, microservices with uh, E-flat microservices. And you are
0: doing this right now, or is this is the idea for the for the new company? No,
1: it's just something I'm starting to... Uh, to test because, um, so SGI, uh, CDI is the integration of CDI in OSGI is a standard and it's pretty recent. And I, I helped to implement that, uh, at least the support of uh, open web bins in, uh, RIS implementation. Uh, so I'm starting to play with it. And I think it's really the, uh, the most adapted That's solution for because, my previous Because
0: uh, now the discussion discussion starts to be interesting. So. Um, in my projects, I'm I'm not using any modularization OSGI or, or JPMs Java Platform Module System at all. And uh, but this is I think complete different use cases. So what what we are usually where I am what I'm doing is usually enterprise or business projects, and we are shipping, I would say, probably ten microservices at most. And uh, back then it would be a, a viewer. Wars and our 10 microservices is usually a war and every microservice is considered as a uh, self-contained uh, war. So uh, the modules are wars or in Quarkus are jars and uh, they are communicating with each other so either via synchronous REST, asynchronous GMS or uh, sometimes uh, we don't have database and there is a Kafka or Pulsar or something and uh, there is absolutely no need to have for the modularization inside the wars. So uh the wars are just we have nice packaging, nice Java packages, nice names, and that's basically it. I think in use case, what you are doing, you say, okay, uh the modules, the wars, they will just run on single JVM. And uh I, I isolate the thing by myself. So it's even more optimized solution than Docker because everyone would run on JVM. Is this something is this correct? Something like this? Yeah, it's that, and compared
1: to yeah, so you can take, you can say Tomcat is a single application and it's a, a EAR. and so it's close, but uh, you consume a lot more memory because yeah. you duplicate a lot of classes. Whereas uh, if uh, quite often you have the common stack between all worlds, so you buying the same classes, and here it will be optimized because it is a, a class loader graph instead of a tree. Um, and you're co- communicating between worlds yeah. through HTTP. Whereas here with the whiteboard, you will be communicating locally and the API will enable you to be either uh, local or remote. And that's really more powerful and optimized uh, in yeah. terms of performance. And uh, you
0: would, uh, you would to, to, to scale the JVM, if you would ship, you know, to, uh, or no, not scale, let's say HA, high availability. So you will have to deploy two Tomcats, let's say, <coughs> with two wars, but then the, the two servers, are, will have will they have to communicate or not? No, because we have load balancer up front, right? So the idea would be you have two wars with the entire microservice graph inside a war, and the load balancer will balance the, the load between two Tomcats, right? Okay, and what yeah. is the, your clients or use cases are? Is just your idea right now, or you have concrete use cases for that? <laughs> there are some use cases but I can't, uh, ah, okay. can't speak about. Um, that. <laughs> okay, because uh, I see the use cases are if you would build a platform. So it means you build something, you know, uh, yeah, you t- told me about your algorithms and data uh, and data mining or whatever. So you could build a business platform and ship on the fly the algorithms to the platform uh which uh, are versioned and uh you uh, machine learning let's say so you have machine learning data model algorithm today and because of fraud detection you get a new new model tomorrow this would be a use case because you know the data model the 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 machine learning algorithm would be just a jar which trained model is versioned and could be loaded deployed on on the fly to your platform This something would work right
1: Another use case, so um, we don't use that exactly like that today, but at Talend, uh, so we connect to the data of the customers uh, because we process them and we work on them, basically. And the architecture is to say we have a Talend cloud, which is uh, all our application, and we have uh, what we call a remote engine. So that's, uh, let's say, uh, to simplify your Docker Compose, multiple services. Uh, the customer is installing uh, in his VPC. And uh, in this VPC, if you put a GI, we are able to send updates uh, to the remote engine and ensure we are working with the cloud, which is a single version because it is our application. Whereas if you don't have uh, this kind of infrastructure, you need to restart the
0: remote engine or ask the customer to do an update.
1: Well, it's not smooth. Whereas well, uh, with so, it is
0: pretty yeah, simple uh, The use case I would see if you have something like a partial update, you say, you know, uh, back then, yeah. what I used, I misused uh, NASO JavaScript or Groovy to, you know, factor out algorithms which change frequently to avoid, you know, the full restart. And what you could do with that is say, okay, this is, doesn't have to be JavaScript or Groovy. I just, you know, can hot load an OSGI module. But the problem is, uh, yeah. let's say the, the OGI module will load in one second. What happens with the in-flight transactions in this second? You have a solution for that? Okay, you can swap it immediately. So I mean, not immediately. So the old module is available, and then the new module is available as well, and then you can just, you know, swap it, also reroute the traffic to the new module, and then you will kill the old module. Something like this. Yeah, that's it.
1: That's exactly like a load balancer. uh, So what you actually
0: built is like not Kubernetes rather than Kubernetes, you know. Kubernetes inside JVM, right? Yeah. And how far are you with your research or even implementation? Uh,
1: I have some POC working. So I guess it's just a matter of making it...
0: Actually, cool stuff. And how fast such an OSGI bundle starts... Um, it's comparable to starting uh, a okay. server, actually. Yeah, with, with, with the application name, I mean. right. We are full circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you are saying here now, I talk about that. I don't know, uh, ten years ago, without OSGI, because I did, never liked OSGI. Because uh, OSGI is is okay. The problem is how it was used, and it was mostly used with Eclipse RCP back then, and this didn't make any sense because what the projects yes. did, they wanted to have plugins and then uh but there was no concept on having you know different versions of plugins at the same time, so we had you know to ship the entire eclipse r c p with one version of all plugins and there was uh and then in some project we 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 even had to deactivate the plugins so that the users are not able to replace the plugins so it was the total overhead of plugins with no added business value and the next problem was since business project was the um, yeah, uh, the circular dependencies were not supported back then by OSGI, so we had to use the body class loader, which uh, was like a hack, because uh, it just exposed everything to a central place, so every plugin could pick whatever the plugin liked. So do you have actually problems with the circular dependencies between OSGI modules? Uh,
1: the main issue I have with OSGI today is um, the tooling is not yet uh, as mature as the alternatives uh Testing OSGI uh, container, you will uh, you can use mm-hmm. Pax Exam, for instance, but then you need to have bundles, so it can't be Surfire or any the jar. Uh, or you build it programmatically in memory, like with Shrinkwrap using tiny bundle or whatever, but it's a lot of work for nothing. So the testing is not that nice, except if you are using Eclipse, which is integrated with uh, BND, okay. and then it is smooth. <laughs> Uh, so that's the main issue. And the second issue is the ecosystem. Some libraries are not yet OSGI-friendly, uh, so you need to wrap them using wrap URL or to rebuild them. But it's not as bad as I thought because uh, I played with few libraries, a HTTP client, uh, uh, well, several clients on different technologies, and they all work with, uh, directly without doing anything. Uh, whereas when I played with OSGI for uh, a service mix, okay. so years ago, <laughs> um, it was just impossible to deploy what you want. It was never working. You needed to rebuild the metadata each time. So it was a nightmare. Now it is no more a nightmare. Even Hibernate is working with OSGI now. So uh, The ecosystem is becoming mature. What's really interesting is if you compare the specification with uh, OSGI Alliance or, uh, EE, mm-hmm. or even Microprofile, OSGi is uh, really in advance compared to others because they already integrated uh, GPMs. They are building OSGi Connect, which is a way to make OSGi working with non-OSGi code. So they are really more advanced than EE, uh, which is. And just uh, so, what do can expect?
0: Today. So, in one year, we will get something like microwave running on OSGi, something like this, or a microwave is the capability of hot swap, or you're building something entirely new. Let's say nothing. <laughs> no. Uh,
1: so basically, today, if you take uh, an HCI container mm-hmm. or even Caraf, uh, you can add ARIA uh, CDI with Beans, for instance. So, so you have CDI. You can add um, PaxWeb or uh, Felix uh, HTTP whiteboard. So you have HTTP and with RIS Web Extra, you have the integration of the Web Servlet programming model. So basically, you have CDI, you have Servlet, but you have a, and you have Jensen, or Yesen, and you have a, a microprofile 1.0 container already. It's already there. So I guess there is nothing new to build. There is no new container to build. The, the goodness of uh, OSGI is either you use um, bundle Maven plugin to build a custom container. So you say, I want Felix with all these bundles. Or you use Karaf with its uh, features to provision your container with all you need. So it's not about building something new. You don't need to build something new. You just use what you need with WAGI. It's really a different philosophy, which is really interesting and uh, smoother for companies. Because when you are betting on a container, you need to ensure it matches all your projects. With EE, it's almost impossible. The only thing you can do is to say, uh, okay, all projects will have these features and will behave like that in production. With OSGI, you can ensure your container will match all use cases because you yeah. can deploy it in But uh, most inside. of the
0: application servers, like, uh, for instance, uh, GlassFish and Payara, they have OSGI built in, So, but they, they use it differently, right? So you could swap the EGB container or CDI container, uh, but uh, you cannot swap your application. So they are building... So they are using OSGI to, uh, to uh, separate uh, EJB, GMS from servlets, not to deploy new algorithms. And the same is with white flame modules, right? Yeah, exactly. I think Liberty is what OSGI implementation. But yeah. you could just use them right now and extend them. There would be a similar effect, right? Um, I guess so,
1: except your application yeah. will not be and OSGI. And your
0: point is you would like to have OSGI inside your application, right?
1: Yeah, because so uh, the first thing when I started to play with OSGI, CDI, was, okay, I want to get back to what I know. So using CDI, using tablet, using uh, check service, etc. And after some tests, I realized you don't need to, uh, to stick to what you know. You need to embrace OSGI. So, I started to use uh, config admin integration. There is a mapping, which is way more advanced than with microprofile config. You can inject uh, annotation, you can inject interfaces, bins, et cetera, already. And it's all backed by config admin, which is pluggable, so you can look into uh, a database or whatever already. Uh, you can also use uh, the whiteboard pattern, which is it looks nothing when you learn it. But if you use it uh, for all your key bins, uh, it becomes very smooth to change the behavior uh, behind that. It's close to, for instance, in Tommy for the remote EGB, we were able to plug different uh, exposers. So we, we had an ASEAN exposure, we had a REST exposer, a SOAP exposure, etc. It's really close to that. With a whiteboard, you have a registry of service by type, and you can expose them as you need, and it's transparent for the uh, bundle exposing the,
0: the bin. So to summarize... You are no more a Java E and a microprofile fanboy, you became an OSGI fanboy. Is it right?
1: Um, <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's more, I, I became a Java fanboy because yeah. I, I want both, actually. If, if you look at um, RIS uh, OSGI CDI implementation repository, you will see that uh, uh, microprofile Jeronimo uh, implementation. Uh, are integrated into OSGI, CDI. So c- you can use micro-profile with OSGI, CDI, and it can almost be, be transparent. It's, so the way I'm seeing it is you can develop with whatever technology you like. It can be OSGI, CDI, uh, CDI Spring, uh, Juice, if you want. But then the question is how do you approach your uh, deployment? Today what we do is say, okay, I don't care. I put all my thing into a Docker image and Kubernetes will manage that's bad because it's very expensive to do that. With GI you have uh, uh, simplicity to bundle and package it as you want, as you need, and it's you can uh, save a lot of money doing that. So it's really something which should look into and not just say, "Okay, I put everything
0: into a Docker you know what? and that's it." This is actually full circle. This is actually back to shared deployments, right? So uh, uh, back to yeah. shared deployment to shared. Really isolated deployments this is the issue because um yeah, this is what we did back then with ears, but there was no no way to communicate between the ears, so you are using osgi to to know to improve the old ear deployment model with some additional capabilities like cross ears communication stuff like that, right because back then there was uh class loader issues the the ears were too isolated, and you need you know. The true isolation, but you also would like to communicate. So this is your issue, right? So no. okay. Yeah, cool. Perfect. Yeah. So now, yeah. where people can find you? Do you have uh, links to something you can reveal right now? And I would like to invite you in one year and talk about your invention once again. Probably it could be too, too long one year because you managed to implement uh, a Photoshop and... Um, Apple Music in a in a in a few weeks, but uh, yeah, let's see uh, in a few months. I would like to know to talk to you again. What your progress is, but can you reveal something, some links and stuff like that, right now? Uh,
1: yeah, so I'm on on Twitter. Uh, so uh-huh. That's Um and I have a blog. I think the link is okay. on Twitter normally. dot uh, net Uh, and I'm regularly blogging about MicroProfile and I'm starting to blog about OSGI too Um, and some random stuff as well Uh, but it's focused on IT
0: so thank you and I would like to invite you back in a few months perfect yeah okay